If you're like most men in our audience, you're committed to becoming the man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be. But the truth of the matter is, you struggle with either finding the time or knowing where to start. That's exactly why I created the Real Men Spiritual Leader Blueprint to give you a step-by-step, easy-to-follow guide to spiritually leading your family, even if you're a new believer. Now, you can't buy the Real Men Spiritual Leader Blueprint, but you can get it for free by signing up for our free e-newsletter. By signing up, you will be notified anytime fresh content is added to my site, so you don't always have to visit my blog to stay up-to-date on the latest information. Now, to get your free copy of the Real Men Spiritual Leader Blueprint, just visit realmenconnect.com and simply enter your name and email address on the form on the page. So if you're tired of trying to figure it all out and fit it all in as the spiritual leader, provider, and protector of your family, don't miss your chance to discover how to be the man God called and created you to be. Sign up today at realmenconnect.com. Welcome to Real Men Connect. Are you ready to be the extraordinary man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be? Then get ready to receive wisdom and guidance from some of the country's most respected men of faith as you learn everything you need to know to go from good man to great man God's way. No judgment, no shame. Just real men with real challenges seeking real change. All for God's glory. Hello, mighty men of God, and welcome to the Real Men Connect podcast, where we help good men become great men God's way. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Martin, and every week we interview some of the nation's most respected and accomplished men of faith to find out what it really takes to become the kind of husband, father, and spiritual leader God called and created us to be. Each interview session is packed with practical, proven biblical principles you can immediately apply in your relationships, on your job, and in your community. Today we have with us Jody Burkeen, who is the founder and president of Man Up God's Way Ministries. And this ministry was birthed out of a sincere desire to change the way Christian men do Christianity. And Jody's self-described Damascus Road transformation led him on a journey to search the scripture to find out what he had been missing his whole life, which he says was Jesus Christ. And in this journey, the word of God took over in a way he never quite expected. Searching for men in the church to help him in his walk, he found very little help. What he did find was men that needed the same kind of help that he did. And through Man Up God's Way Ministry, it's Jody's hope that he can challenge men to live a separated life on fire for God. And ever since I launched Real Men Connect about three years ago, Jody's name has consistently come up in conversations as I travel and speak across the country. In fact, a couple of my past guests, um, Cody Bobe of SoCom Ministries and Chris Dalberry of Lifeway Men are big fans of Jody's and they asked me if I ever had him on my show. And unfortunately, I had to admit that I hadn't. Shame on me. So when I finally reached out to Jody and he agreed to be a guest on my show, I was so delighted. From the little that I've heard and read about him, um, we're cut from the same cloth and he has a sincere desire to see males become the men that God called and created us to be. So today Jody and I are going to chop it up a little bit, talk about his personal story, as well as talk about men's ministry and get real about the challenges that men face and what we can do to overcome them. So I want to just thank Jody for joining me on the Real Men Connect podcast. How you doing today, brother? Outstanding, Joe. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's a pleasure. And Jody, thank you. Um, I found out when we were talking before we came on the show that you are also still in full-time ministry as a pastor, which I know there's a heavy demand on your time. So I really thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be on the show with us today. Well, it's an honor just to be here. Thank you so much. 
And like I mentioned in the introduction, Jody, that your reputation precedes you. So I'm so excited about getting to talk shop with you about men's ministry. And um, I don't know where the conversation is going to be led to, but I know I have some questions and hopefully you may follow, try to follow the script. But if it goes in a different direction, so be it. But I want to start with like what I always do when I ask men to come on our show is to share with us their favorite Bible verse that gives them inspiration from the word of God. What's yours, man? Mine is Romans 8, 6. It's what I call my life verse. It's for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. And I use that verse quite often just in my own daily walk because there's many times that I get to a place to where all of a sudden the flesh kicks in. And I've got to remember that, that, you know, if I want that spiritual death, if I want that, you know, that that death that just where there is no peace, where there is no joy, where there is no hope, um, you know, I always end up back in the flesh. But if I want life and peace, I go back to the Spirit and I stop and pray and read my Bible and just spend some time with God to get back into that place of, of the Spirit. Oh, I love it. You know, Jody, it's amazing that we've done so many shows now. I think it's been, I don't know when this one comes out. It's probably, I know it's over 230 something, but it always amazes me when I bring men on the show with so much, there's so much scripture and yet men still give me verses that their life verses or their anchor verses that I don't hear other men use. And that's the first time anyone's used Romans 8, 6, which I think is a great verse, but I'm surprised to see so many people have unique verses to them. So thank you for sharing that with us. I appreciate it, man. Amen. Now, before we get to your Damascus Road transformation story that I mentioned earlier in your introduction, tell us a little bit about your life, what it was like being little Jody growing up as a boy, man. Well, I I grew up in the church, um, the Church of Christ, and my mom and dad were divorced uh, for quite some time. My mom met a a relatively good man, um, ended up being my stepdad, who was kind of a, a layman in church, and he, they took us to church. But I always say that, you know, I was a drug addict by the time I was 12 years old because every time the church doors were open, I was drugged through them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I I did not like church growing up, and I did not like, you know, what, what it made me feel. But, um, you know, it at least gave me some sort of foundation. But at the age of 12, I left my mom's house and went to live with my dad, and it was a completely different world. And, uh, through that process, I just I just fell in love with the world. I fell in love with money, and I fell out of love with God and became an atheist. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, that just kind of took me down the path that, um, you know, I became a worshiper of self and a worshiper of money. Uh, I had gods in my life. They just weren't the big G God. And uh, I, I, I knew enough about the Bible, and this is what confused me and really concerned me about the Christian faith was, as an atheist, I knew enough about the Bible and, and, and science to trip up most of the average Christians, uh, you know, to be able to get them to, to stutter in a testimony or a witnessing phase or anything like that. So that's one of those things that, you know, just kind of... You know, you get to see and you get to, to understand once Christians don't really understand what they're talking about. That's the sad, sad part about it is most Christians don't know the Bible. So as an atheist, it was easy to, you know, kind of refute anything that was being said. So that was really kind of the story of my life, you know, starting off anyway. Well, Joe, let me dig a little bit deeper into that story then, because you say your parents got divorced. Uh-huh. Um, and you were living with your, your mom and your stepdad, who was God-fearing people. Um, what do you think was it that turned you off to church? Um, was it just the fact that they made you go? Or was it other things that you noticed that kind of like, you know, I, I can't wait to get out of here. Um, I'm, I'm, I want to do my, I want to go my own way. What was the turning point for you with that? 
Well, it was it was mostly the religion part. I didn't like the religion part. I was never taught uh, how to have a relationship with Jesus. I was never taught to read my Bible. We didn't do it at home. You know, we only did it at church. I think the only time that we ever prayed as a family was maybe at dinner, and that's assuming that you know anybody thought of it. Uh, it wasn't. My parents were very moral people. Uh, you know, they weren't. They, but it was always the don't do's. You know, don't do this because the church says so or the Bible says so. But never a teaching of this is why we don't do those things. This is why we, you know, live this way. So at you know between eleven and twelve years old, I started seeing hypocrisy in the church. You know, I started seeing people say one thing and live another out outside the church walls. Uh, not only in my parents, but also in my the friends of my parents and different things like that. And I just, you know, at 12 years old, when you see the hypocrisy, you're like, I don't need this, you know, because the only difference between them and me is, you know, they go to church on Sunday, and I don't want to go to church on Sunday. Um, so that that's what kind of led me away from um, the church at that point in time. Now, Jody, so what would you say um, now, you know, because we don't want to throw your, your mom and your stepdad under the bus or anything like that. But if you could go back and talk to them now or at least parents who are in that similar vein, because it seemed to me they were doing the best they could based on what they knew. But if you could go back and tell them to do things differently, what would you say to them how they could have done it a little bit differently? Right. Yeah. My mom is a part of my church now and she hears this testimony all the time. And, you know, but it was by it was because of my mom, probably through her prayers. I mean, she was a very prayerful woman and has you know always has been. And so I think her prayers kept me from either dying, you know, becoming a homeless person or whatever that might have looked like, and uh, ended up bringing me back to God. But I would tell you know, and this is what I tell men today is that you know you've got to to be open and honest with your kids. They've got to see. Um, the faults. They've also got to see the, the the minuses and the pluses. They've got to see the reconciliation. They've got to see the prayer, the falling on your knees, the repentance, all of those kind of things. You know, nobody's perfect, uh, and they, and children need to see that. You know, we we treat children like children for you know until they're twenty five, thirty years old, unfortunately, instead of you know raising them to be godly kids. And I think that's what I would tell my parents, and that's what I tell men today is that man, your kids need to see an honest uh, version of your Christian walk. Right. You know, and that's what we're about, even with our ministry, and I'm sure you are with yours to a man up, is that, they, you know, we're not promoting and positioning perfection here. What we're showing is uh, an authentic people who, when I say people, men, who are struggling in their walk, but we rely and depend on Christ. You know, one of the jokes, uh, it's not really a joke, though, Jody, but uh, in my small group, I do a lot of different small groups. We do discipleship groups. And in our quiet, we always promote how important it is to have that, like you said, that relationship, that quiet time with God, because most men were never taught how to have a quiet time with God. And one of the things that um, I joke about is that I always ask the question after I read scripture, I use this this acrostic called space, S-P-A-C-E, and each letter stands for something, but the S stands for sin that I need to confess. And I say, my life changed around when I started having a consistent quiet time with God. And I said, but the thing that shocks me most is that every time I read scripture, even happened this morning, I say, God, what is the sin I need to confess right now? And you would think after 15 years of doing consistent quiet time, I want the Holy Spirit to say, well, I got nothing for you today, Joe. You're good. And that's never happened, Jody, ever in 15 years. 
It, but they, and I tell people I'm not discouraged by it. It just reminds me of how much I need him and how much we exactly. depend on him. And that's what I'm hearing you saying right now is that that personal relationship would draw you into authenticity, which means you're going to always find yourself confessing, repenting. But it's not just about the don't do's, but it's about that loving father who loves you in spite of what you're not supposed to be doing or what you think you should be doing and not doing. And so I'm glad that you, you brought that angle up. But it seemed like you get ready to add something else. Did something else you wanted to add to that? No, no. I was just saying that's so true. You know, I mean, that's parents just think they have to have everything on point, and that's that's not the case. I mean, our kids need to see us fail. But it's like I tell my kids all the time. You know, when they see my mom, their mama, and I arguing, um, it's it's because we're having a discussion as parents. But they also get to see us you know, reconcile that argument or that debate or whatever that was. And so they see both the good and the bad. And that's the same thing in our life with God. It's it's a constant, you know, failing of God's, you know, um, rules and regulations and standards in our life. However, there's the love of God that comes over us that gives us that opportunity to reconcile, uh, and, and in most cases it's sin, uh, to reconcile that with Him through repentance. Yeah, we had a guest on our show, um, um, who one of our, uh, our listeners' favorite guests, Eric Terry, who does this. He's like our marriage guy who we go to a lot. And he had gone through um, divorce twice. And he's a marriage coach. <laughs> the kind of men we bring on it. We love men who've gone through the fire. But um, one of the things he said about why his marriage didn't work, he says he came from a marriage where his dad was a pastor. So he came from a God-fearing home. And his dad and mom been married over, I guess, over 45 years uh, beautiful marriage. He says that his dad actually ruined his marriage. I said, how did your dad ruin your marriage? He says, Joe, I never saw them argue. Ever. Oh, he wow. says, so when he gets into his marriage, and you can imagine this, Joe, he gets into a marriage and then the first time his wife doesn't agree with him, he's like, hey, this is not how it's supposed to go. We don't supposed to disagree. And his dad later told me, oh, we disagreed all the time, but we didn't let you guys see it. And he realized now that his dad should have let him see it. To see, show him how to reconcile relationships. So just what you exactly what you just said. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I just think you know it's like I, our kids. We just we let them see the good and the bad and the ugly, and you know uh, that way they understand that no relationship is perfect, and that there's always reconciliation that has to happen. And so you know my parents were they did the best that they could. It's just like you said they 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 don't, and I tell my church all the time we only know what we know. You know, we we need others. That's discipleship. We need help and encouragement and all of those kind of things to help us get through some of that stuff. So, you know, and I got a uh, feeling that we're going to come back to a lot of those things you just mentioned in that just those few seconds. <laughs> but I want to get to this Damascus Road transformation experience that you that I mentioned in your introduction um, that led you to launching the Man Up God's Way Ministries. Tell us a little bit about that experience, that Damascus Road experience. So my wife and I, we were married uh, 12 years, and um, we had found out that we couldn't have kids, and uh, it was my issue. Um, I couldn't have kids, and, um, you know, I didn't know that growing up, and all of a sudden here we're married, and, you know, we're, we're, we decide that we're going to have kids. We finally built our kingdom, so to speak, and we're going to have kids, and I find out that I couldn't have kids. Well, I got mad at God. And I didn't even believe in God. I just got mad at him for like <laughs> of all the easiest things in the world for men and women to do is procreate, and yet I can't do that. And so, after sulking and you know whining and crying about it for maybe even a year, close to a year, uh, we came up with the idea that we would adopt. And so um, through that process, my wife was a pharmaceutical sales rep, and she was in hospitals all the time, and. 
um, you know, talking to doctors. Well, one thing led to another. We happened to find a nurse who had a friend who had a daughter that was, you know, pregnant and wanting to, to give the baby up for adoption. And so she was seven months pregnant. Fast forward a couple months, we're in the birthing room. I'm in the waiting room. My wife is in the birthing room with with the young girl, and the she has the baby. Um, they hand her the baby, and I'm out in the waiting room praying to a God that I didn't believe in. That hey, if you give me this beautiful baby girl, <laughs> I'll give I'll give you my life. I'll change whatever. And you know, a couple of days later, we walked out with a beautiful baby girl. And uh, within a couple of weeks, we had a full-time live-in nanny. I mean, you know, I told you earlier that my, my God was money. That's what we were all about, trying to make as much money. And my wife was working full-time. I was building a kingdom of real estate and all of this kind of stuff. Well, 18 months later, we get a phone call from the birth mom um, asking uh, if we wanted a son. And uh, she was pregnant again. And so she was about six or seven months pregnant, kind of the same thing. Um, I'm in the the waiting room. My, my wife is in the birthing room, and she has the baby. Comes out, and I'm praying the same prayer: "Give me this beautiful baby boy, and I'll change my life." Well, now, Joe, let me now. let me stop you for just a second. So, yeah. after the first child, you didn't change your life. I did not. Change <laughs> but go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And so, in the second one, I'm I'm saying the exact same prayer. Wow, like, you know, I'll change my life. Well. We ended up moving from Frankfort, Kentucky to St. Louis, Missouri at that point in time. And um, my wife, who has always been a seeker, um, you know, we both kind of grew up not going to church or anything like that, uh, you know, from 12 on. But she's always every we, we lived in five different communities or states within about a 10 or 12 year period. We were just moving, moving, moving. We didn't have babies, so it was easy. And everywhere she would go, she would always find a church. Well, I would never go with her, and eventually she would end up quitting because, you know, it's no fun for a spouse to go by themselves. And so we got here to St. Louis. Um, she had gotten a flyer in the mail, and she came and reminded me of a, a promise that I made on our wedding day. And I don't remember this promise, but <laughs> she said that I promised that I would take our kids to church when we had kids. And so uh, she she said, you know, here's a flyer. I'd already talked to the pastor. We're going to go to this church. And so one thing led to another, and we walked into a church plant that had only been there three or four months. The pastor was very much like me. Uh, he was a businessman. He was, you know, um, uh, he was uh, working both a job and pastoring, and we just kind of hit it off in May uh Twenty second, two thousand and three, uh, we had him over, and we surrendered our lives to Christ, and um, that became the Damascus Road transformation. Like literally, it, it flipped my lid uh, from that point on. And man, I just I gave my life to the Lord. I'd never read a book in my life until I got saved, and I ended up reading the Bible within about six or seven months um, after giving my life to the Lord, and. I have literally just I, I've read I've read it every year since uh, maybe once or twice and I can't get enough of it. Wow, I, I tell you, you know, there's questions I, I promised that we were going to chop it up about men's <laughs> ministry, but you, man, you've opened up a can of worms already for me. Because I want to go back and please forgive me, Jody, if I'm if That's I'm okay. digging a little bit too deep and getting personal. No, not I am an open book. Dude. Okay, because you mentioned because we keep it real on Real Men Connect. Now yeah, you mentioned exactly. that you had walked away from the church, you became an atheist. All right, right. And now you were married. To your, now your wife was a seeker. She right. knew you were an atheist when she met you, right? Right, exactly. So what made her decide she wanted to marry you? Well, it, she, you know, I mean, I think we'd fallen in love the moment that we met. You know, we were in college and um, 
things just kind of, you know, the, the stars lined up and the moon was right and everything else. And we just kind of fell in love. And uh, that was that was into that. And it, it was, you know, even on our wedding day, it was not for God that we got married. As a matter of fact, we, we got remarried after we became believers because we wanted to do it in the sight of God. But, you know, it was just we were just young and dumb, um, you know, and I think if she had known probably five or six years into our marriage, what she, you know, if she'd have known that the day that we'd met, there'd probably been a different outlook or different story here. Um, But, you know, my atheism was not a hatred. It was just, and, 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 you know, looking back on it, it might've been more agnostic. Agnostic, yeah, more agnostic. Maybe I kept, maybe I kept God in my back pocket kind of deal for the what if. (laughs) Yeah, just in case. (laughs) You know, and I had a foundation, but, you know, in my arguments or my debates or, you know, I grew up in Kentucky and, you know, it's kind of the Bible Belt, so most of the time you're going to have some conversations when it came to religion. And um, so it, it was just one of those things, man, Just God just lined it up, and we just fell in love, and that was the end of that. So, so it's uh, sort of like ignorance is bliss kind of situation. It, it surely is. It <laughs> surely is. But, you know, I remember the first day that we're walking into this church plant. It's in a hotel. I grew up in the Kentucky, the Bible Belt. Everything's brick and mortar, four columns, a steeple you know, a bell tire of the church, and that's on every street corner just about. And here we are walking in. I'd never heard of a church plant. I didn't even know what that was. Um, and we're walking into a hotel that's having it in the conference center, and I'm thinking we're walking into a cult. Like, you know, they're <laughs> going to ask me to sell flyers at the airport or something, you know, kind of yeah. deal. And, you know, Hare Krishna or the Moonies or something. And, you know, I got my kids. I was, you know, I was like, you know, my goal was, in, in the, my heart of hearts was, my kids would make it so miserable to go to church that my wife would end up quitting. But God had a different story, man. It was about 35, 40 people. It was a small church. We were the first young family to come in. You know, so, you know, if you if you go to a church with young kids, man, you are the kind of the rock stars. And that was for me, you know, we were the first family with young kids of this church plant. And that was, you know, I liked the attention at the time, but... God had a different story, man. He just had a pastor there that was bold. I remember the day that we're sitting at, at our house, and I just kept asking questions about finances. Like, you know, I, all I thought <laughs> churches were, you know, like, how much money do you make? So, well, I don't get paid. I was like, well, where's where all the money? Going? Like, well, we mark, you know, like, and finally he just stopped. Well, a pastor's yeah. dream, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, finally he just goes, uh, Jody, you know what you need to do? And I said, what's that, pastor? And he said, you need to give your life to the Lord and stop running. I was like, Okay, what what does that look like? And he's like, here's what it would do. And then he spent the next year, and this is the crazy thing, because he spent the next year, um, I walked into the the church, a brand new believer, I got my new Bible, I got my tabs on the Bible, because I didn't even know the chapters of the books, you know, the books were or anything like that. And I'm looking for somebody to help me get this and not a single man stepped up to help me uh, until the pastor did. And, you know, the busiest guy in the church is the pastor, and he spent, it just so happened, God tanked his business and my business the same year. Mm-hmm. And so we had all this free time together. Uh, we, we literally, 52 weeks, we met Monday morning, 6 o'clock in the morning at Denny's, and his first words to me, he said, show up at Denny's at 6 o'clock, do not waste my time, and I won't waste your time, and I'll disciple you. And man, I was there at 5.45 every morning with a cup of coffee, his cup of coffee with my Bible, all my homework done. And he discipled me 52 weeks um, that year, like literally 52 Mondays. We met every single day, every single week. And man, he just poured into me and that changed my life. 
Wow. So I tell you, man, that blessed my heart to hear that because you answered a question I was going to ask you was what was different with this church experience? And you just answered it. You were discipled. You I were was discipled. discipled. Yeah. And that's and that's the key that we have, you know, obviously for man up. I know that you, you've, you've got the same thing as far as yours. And man, that's just this one of our things that we truly believe in is discipleship. That's the key to to true to a true Christian walk and he led me he led me down that path and man it was just it was beautiful how it how it all worked out. You know, I get sometimes I get on people's nerves and primarily a lot of church going people because we get so pumped up and excited about Easter Sunday, about seeing people give their lives to the Lord and coming forward. And then you'll see on Facebook, on social media, oh, we had 300 people give their lives to the Lord. And I know the angels rejoice over one sinner who repents. But my question is always, okay, but what about the day after Easter? How many of those people are going to be disciple? Are they going to return back to their regular lives with fire insurance, but no spiritual growth? And because I, I mean, I wrote that down in my notes when you were sharing your story. I'm like, OK, now what was different for Jody that happened? And when you said what he said to you, you said no other man was there who was willing to show you how to read your Bible, show you how to pray, show you how to do a quiet time. But this man took time out of his schedule to do that. That's basically was the job of the other believers in that church to do this for, to help you walk along this journey. So um, that's why it just resonated in my heart when you said it. it made my heart feel good that somebody took you under their wing and discipled you. And look what happened. <laughs> this totally. is just amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, it flipped my lid. And that's, you know, that's really the, the Damascus Road because I, I, you know, there's, there's nothing that I haven't been addicted to. Um, except exercise, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've been addicted to everything else. And, you know, through those addictions and that quality time that he spent with me, you know, the first thing that went away was my cussing. You know, I was in the military. You know, I was in in uh, sales. And it was just kind of like a second nature. I cussed. I drank. I smoked. Uh, I did drugs. I did all of those things prior to um, – and it was starting to wane down just a little bit, you know, with my kids. But, man, when I finally gave my life, man, all of a sudden we just – we went crazy. My wife ends up quitting her job. She becomes a homeschool mom. Um, like, uh, I become a pastor. You know, we start just kind of living this life that, you know, it freaked our family out. Oh, because, I can imagine. You know, we, <laughs> we had this family that was always together, drinking, partying, having a great time, you know, through all my brothers and sisters. And we gave our life to the Lord. And, man, just things just changed. And um, the more that I read the Bible, the more that you know, I don't think you can walk this Christian life and not read your Bible and not be convicted. You know, you're not doing the things that God has called you to do. And so that that really is the Damascus Road transformation that we had. Wow, and, uh, man. I wasn't out killing Christians, but I sure wasn't. <laughs> you know, I, wasn't I wasn't doing a great job with them either because, like I said, I, I know of a few times that I talked people, it felt like, out of their Christianity. Um, you know, because of my atheism. Man, I, I tell you, what a wonderful and amazing story and a credit to our father um, and just his saving grace. You know, I, people would think I'm crazy. And I know people get mad at me when I say stuff like this. I said, I knew God was real when I gave my life to Christ and I stopped cussing. And they're like, Joe, really? Now, I understand pornography. I was addicted to all that stuff, too. But I was like, you don't understand. If God could control my tongue, I knew there's a God. You're exactly right. You're exactly so right. So I, I can relate to that. But all right. Now, I'll I tell you, I got so fascinated with your story that we got a lot of stuff to cover. And we don't have a lot of time to do it in, Jody. But it's all right. Now, you said, and I, and I read from your material, and I went on your blog and everything, that you, that you had a desire to see men do Christianity 
differently. Right. And I emphasize the word do. What do you mean by that? I think I may have a clue based on what you just shared by now, but I want to hear you elaborate on that. Right, exactly. Well, like I stated earlier, you know, I'm standing there with a new Bible. I'm green as all get out. I have nobody to, to walk me through this. My pastor steps up and do, does it. Within a year of me giving my life to the Lord, I'm teaching the guys who claim to be you know, Christians for 30, 40, 50 years, you know, all of a sudden I'm sitting around looking at these blue haired guys and, you know, not a, one of them are stepping up to help me and right. so, or help anybody else. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, after doing this long enough, uh, you know, almost, gosh, almost 15 years now, um, you know, I see the complacency and the laziness of men, you know, men, are being destroyed in our society as far as the masculinity of men, just even the pure masculinity. Um, they have been destroyed in the church, and thank God the women have held the church together for the last 50, 60 years uh, because the men have not done the right thing. Uh, and the family, I mean, men are not, you know, raising, um, first of all, they're not washing their wife with the water of the word, as Ephesians 5 tells us to. We don't pray with our wives. We don't read the word with our wives. If we're not doing it with God, we're not doing it with our wives. And if we're not doing it with our wives, in most cases, we're not doing it with our children. And so we've just got men that are not doing anything. And, you know, the way that Man Up, Man Up God's Way was founded was um, this desire to, to, to tell men and to show men biblically how they are to live their lives uh, as a godly man. Um, my first book was called Man Up, uh, Becoming a Godly Man in an Ungodly World, and it's seven areas in a Christian man's life where they're spiritual sissies. And, uh, like, literally, the, I use the term sissy because as a man, you know, even at an early age, somebody calls us a sissy, we're going to do one of two things. We're, we're going to punch them in the throat, you know, or, <laughs> right. or we're going to cower down and walk away. And I believe God's sitting in heaven, going, "Look at these spiritual sisters. You know, I've given them, I've given them my son, I've given them my word, and I've given them the Holy Spirit, and yet they're not doing what I've asked them to do." Um, and I think there's going to, you know, the, the Bible talks about, um, you know, the goats and the sheep. He talks about the wide road and the narrow road. He talks, you know, he talks a lot about these these fake believers that have. You know this since this this idea that they're going to get into heaven just by saying you know just by just by being instead of you know uh, by faith and by doing and by you know all of that kind of stuff and I just think you know unfortunately uh, our men need to hear it in a way that men need to hear it and not not pansified not you know sissified you know not and not, and I don't I don't even mean men. You know, uh, when I think of godly men, it's not men who can chew through steel or bend iron. It's men who men men who will humble themselves and 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 get on their knees and cry out to a holy God of you know what do you need? How how can I change? What you know, seeking God in a way that they never have. You know, when I hear you say that, Jody, I think immediately of, of David. You know, and you think of King David before he became king. And David was out there writing poetry and singing love songs to God. And, you know, most people call him, oh, man, he, David's not a real man. But that dude was killing bears and tigers, I mean, lions, you know, <laughs> with his bare hands. And so when, when you say that, you know, it's not this, this our media-driven image of manhood, but God's portrait of a real man. And even though we know that using word like sissified or a pansy, that that may not be politically correct. 
But I understand where you're coming from with that. But my question to you is, how did we get that way? What what has happened? Why do you think we are so passive when it comes to when it comes to, quote, manning up? Well, I, I think I think because of the lack of discipleship, um, you know, you look back over the last, we'll say, 75 years. Um, you know, you talk about the greatest generation, which is the generation of like World War II. You know, they all of a sudden, instead of, you know, becoming farmers, keeping communities small, all of a sudden we have this, you know, this rush of industrialism, um, cities and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, from then life just kind of got crazy. Um, and then we have no discipleship going on through that. We had this great evangelistic movement. You know, the 50s and 60s and, you know, even into the 70s, close to the 80s, but we had no way of teaching or we didn't have any implement implementation of teaching these guys through discipleship. It was like, hey, you know, come forward, say a prayer, um, give your life to the Lord and ask him into your heart. And that was it. Um, and then you had in the 90s and 2000s, you had this great small group and cell group and, you know, this kind of implementation, but we had no evangelism. And so you've got people knowledgeable of the Word of God, but they have no application. And I think we forgot that evangelism and discipleship go hand in hand when, you know, in my sphere of influence, there are certain people that I'm going to meet on a daily basis that I have the responsibility to share the gospel with as well as go even further and disciple them. I'm not a street preacher, and most people that I meet are not street preachers, which means they're not just going to stand out and share the gospel and people walk by and hopefully get saved or this seed planted or whatever. We're going to have people in our lives that we have to focus on and pour into after we share the gospel with them. And so I think men have, you know, from the, the great movement of the 40s and 50s, they have basically thought their only role was to go and bring home the bacon. And that's and and that's wrong. You know that's that's completely wrong. You know Deuteronomy talks about us how we raise our kids. You know as they're as they're walking through the shepherds. You know they stop and, and pitch a tent. You know they at lunchtime they sit and talk about the word of God. As they're walking, they talk about the word of God. As they go to sleep, they talk about the word of God. As they wake up, they talk talk about the word of God. And we don't do that anymore. So I think that's our biggest problem right now is that men have basically wash their hands of, you know, first of all, getting close to God. Second of all, uh, getting close to their spouse, their their wife. Um, and because most men are really good dads and horrible husbands, they, they circumvent their wife, you know, that relationship, which that's the unified relationship. That's the one body that God talks about. Um, and we are to raise our kids so they leave the nest. You know, that's we're supposed to raise them so they do leave the house. And uh, we, we've done it wrong. And the next thing you know, we don't know our spouses because we don't know God. Wow, man, Jody, you, you uncovered so much in just that short segment. And, and I want to reiterate what you said, because I do see the lack of connection that we're at least we're not putting the light on because you said discipleship and evangelism go hand in hand. And we don't focus on that. So what difference does it make if we're leading people to the cross, but we're not teaching them how to carry it? You well, know, it's the, kind of the sower of the seed, you know, that parable of the sower of the seed. You've got four types of people that that seed is, is symbolic of. The first one lands on hard soil. You know, that's that seed that you're just throwing around and it lands. It doesn't sprout or anything. The second one, I think this is where most believers, the second and the third one, most so-called believers end up. They they sprout in shallow soil. And the next thing you know, the, the worries of the world take them away. The winds of the world take them away. And the same thing, those being 
uh, in the, the, the thorns and thistles, you know. So we've got most of our believers right there because they're not being discipled, and they have this flash-of-the-pan experience, and it's not really a true salvation experience, but they think because they either said a prayer, they got baptized, or they go to church every Sunday that they're saved. And um, that's a scary place to be because, you know, you start reading the Bible and you start taking people through, you know, the Pauline epistles. You take them through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll realize real quick that we've got a lot of shallow people in our church that when they meet Jesus, they're going to be like, well, you know, I, I did this in your name. I did that in your He's like, I, I know you not. Depart from me. You know, uh, when you talk about the connection between discipleship and evangelism, and then you mention about um, fathers and husbands, to me, if you are properly discipled, evangelism comes out of that because you now know what your what your job is as as a mature Christian that we are to evangelize after we've been discipled. And so even though they go hand in hand, I believe discipleship precedes evangelism. But at the same time, you hear it like you said, and I, I love the way you put it, is that we have a lot of men out there who are great fathers, but they're horrible husbands. But they both go hand in hand. And I believe that being a great husband precedes being a great father. Exactly. And so I, and I never saw those two connected until you said it. And I'm going to remember that, but that is that is great. Now I'm going to do it, move in a different, a little bit of a different direction. And I can tell right now, Judah, we're not going to get to all the questions I had for you today. <laughs> but but I don't care because this is good. But I want to go in a different direction because I told you even before you came on the show is that this show is for real men who are trying to do it God's way. The same thing your ministry is pursuing, and it seems to me one of the biggest things that keep men from moving forward, in addition to like you said, not being discipled. Is their past keeps them from moving forward. Uh, specifically speaking, past hurts from the wounds of their father or other men in their life. So and some even use it as an excuse for never moving forward. So what do you suggest or say to those men like that um, to help them get past their past? Because I'd have to deal with that with a lot with men. What did you say to them? Well, I always, I mean, I always say unforgiveness is like drinking acid and hoping the other person dies. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we've got to get to a place to where we forgive all the past hurts. Um, we can't change the past. What we can do is change the future. We, we don't have to pass those same hurts, angers, sins down to our children uh, or even to our relationship. So there's a certain point in time you got to rub, you know, dust the dirt off and, and move on at that point in time. And I think, you know, what I've found over the last um, seven years of traveling, I do about 25 men events a, a year. And um, what I found is that, first of all, men are not reading their Bible, period. Uh, they have no clue how to read it or how to study it or how to just even open it up or have a quiet time. And, and most men are not disciplined in that area. So they've got to start there. If they don't start with the Word of God, you know, nothing that you and I say really means a whole lot until they understand what the Word of God says. You know, hopefully our encouragement or even some of our chastising a lot of times will push them and motivate them to get into the Word of God because that's going to change them more than anything else. A good, solid prayer life uh, will also change that. And so when you can realize that you've got a loving Father in heaven that wants to give you um, the ability to get through this life. He doesn't give you great things in this life. Matter of fact, I, mean, I gave my life to the Lord. I was a millionaire. Within a year and a half later, I was broke. Oh, wow. Uh, and I, I remember asking God why he would do this, because I'm thinking, he got a good deal when he got me, so he should double <laughs> all of this stuff. Um, but he didn't. He took it all away because the one who gave that to me, Satan, um, gave me the good gifts to keep my eyes off of Jesus. And so when I figured out that... 
I had this pedestal that I would worship Jesus every now and then. I'd take him off and I'd put my money back on there. He realized that you don't need that in your life. And so sometimes he's going to take you through these trials and tribulations. Um, 2015, my wife went through cancer. Um, you know, we just launched a church, found out two weeks before we launched the church, she had cancer and, you know, God used that for his glory. She's completely healed in Jesus name. But, you know, we go through those trials and tribulations and those hurts and those angers. And sometimes you just got to to pull your big boy pants up and say that I'm going to get through this and then I'm going to do this for God, the father, then I'm going to do this for my spouse. And more importantly, I'm going to do this for my whole family. Because the problem with what we've got nowadays is we've got churches being run by men who do not have their household in order. Uh, we've got ministries that have, you know, great men, but they have their they they do not have their household in order. And I always say, I can prove my ministry. I can prove my first ministry through my family because if I can't prove that, then I don't need to have a ministry. Uh, and that's that. I think that's the biggest problem with most men is that this is a little rabbit trail. But the problem with that is, is so this is the reason that men don't disciple, they don't evangelize, is because they don't want to feel like hypocrites. They're not reading their Bible, so they're they're scared to death that they're going to lose sight of you know some argument. Um, they're not praying. Uh, they're not praying with their wife. They're not reading the Word of God with their wife. They're not pouring into their kids, and so they don't do that to anybody else. And that's the problem. Your first and number one ministry as a man of God is to your family. You start with your wife. You learn to pray with her. You learn to read the Word of God with her. Then you both, as a unified one body, one flesh, you do that in conjunction with each other with your kids. And when your kids start seeing that, man, you've got some really good godly kids at that point in time. I've got four kids now, and... Man, we just we pour into them uh, all the time after pouring into each other, and so God God can do a mighty work with that kind of heart from a man. So just move on from the past. Um, be the father that you want to be, that you wanted in your life. Be the husband that you wanted to see your dad be. I mean, don't don't be the one that you saw because that may not necessarily be the right example. I tell you, Jody, you're killing me, man. Because <laughs> you're bringing up so many great points. You're making so many. I'm trying to write as fast as you're talking. <laughs> and I know I'm not going to be able to address all of them. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking, what now? I'm like, what do I start? What do I What do I dive into? Because you covered so much. And I, and I even think about what you were saying about just the last point you just made. And that was, be, I had other points I want to talk about. But the last point you made about, and I think men need to hear this, about, you know, you said, um, look at the kind of, you know, be the kind of dad you want it to be or wanted to have. And here's the problem I see with men, and you probably see it too. They'll tell you what they don't want to be. They'll tell you, I don't want to be anything like my father. But then when I ask, okay, what kind of father do you want to be? And they'll tell you, but they had no model of that. And so they, they're an expert in what they don't want, but they're a novice in what they do want because they haven't been discipled and they haven't been shown. And so you bring it up as a good point in that men need to focus on, you know, getting past their past to see what they want to become. But they have to find men who will disciple them to do it. So let me start back and go way back with something else you mentioned about, you know, pouring into their kids, being their wife, their, their marriage, being their first ministry. And, and Jody, I can hear it. A man said, yeah, OK, I get that. OK, I need to spend time in the word with God. I need to, to pray. 
But Jody, I don't know how to do that because I've had men tell me, say, Joe, you know, I hear people talk about you got to have a quiet time with God and everything. But when I read the Bible, I'm about to fall asleep. I'm yawning. I'm about to go to sleep. And I always tell them if, if you're in God's presence and you're about to fall asleep, your Bible's broken. Something's not right. You're not doing something right. But what do you say to that man who says, okay, Jody, I do want to do that. I do want to to have a more intimate relation with God. And I do want to have a quiet time. I do want to pray. But I can't find, I'm just like, I'm at a church that which you find yourself at. I didn't have anybody who want to do it and nobody's taking time. What do you suggest for that man that he does? Well, a couple of things. I would, you know, find the godliest man in the church. You know, the one that you think that is the godliest man. Um, it might be the pastor. It might be an elder. It might be just somebody that you sit next to at church and ask them to disciple you. So far in my ministry, when I tell men to do that, I have not had one. Because I always tell them, man, if he tells you no, you call me, we'll go beat him up. <laughs> right. He should be. <laughs> he should want to do that. So far, I've never had anybody call me and say, well, he said no. Um, there have been instances where they get going and, you know, they just kind of die off kind of deal because everybody's so busy. But I would find the godliest guy in the church and say, hey, listen, I am struggling. Would you please help me? Most men are scared to death even as a godly man, are scared to death to walk up and say, hey, uh, I see you're struggling. Can I help you? You know, like, but if you walk up and say, listen, I'm struggling. Will you help me? I have not had anybody call me up and say, he said no. Uh, so they're looking, you know, they don't know it, but they, they will want to help you out. And so if you don't find anybody, then two things. Read your Bible, first of all. In a devotion, what you want to do is you want to read the Bible for God to speak to you. It's not a study. It's not a word study. It's not a character study. You're not trying to study anything. You're just saying, I'm going to read chapter 1 of Matthew. Okay, if it speaks to me, great. If it doesn't, then I'm going to go to chapter 2. What I always say is go through the whole book and then come back and reread the chapter. Each one chapter. Go through the whole book and then come back and just look for God. Highlight it. Write in your Bible. Use a paper Bible. Do not use your phone. Do not use your iPad. Do not use your computer. A Bible is a real feel, living. You can write on it. You can highlight it. You can hold it in your hands. You can, you know, that's tangible devotion instead of using your phone. Because anytime you get a bling, a blip, a call, or whatever, you're you're done at that point in time. So you still have a responsibility to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have to do that on your own. Start small. Um, I always say stay out of the Old Testament if you're a new believer or somebody who's not read, read your Bible much. Not not because it's different, but because you, you won't understand it. Until you start looking for Jesus in the whole Bible, you won't understand why the Bible was written. Because you can see Jesus in the very first chapter of the Bible, and you can also see Jesus in the very last chapter of the Bible. The problem is, is society, even pastors have taken this and said, well, there's the Old Testament and the New Testament. There used to be this God, and then there's a different God. Well, that's that's not true. It's the same God. It's the same Jesus. the same Holy Spirit. You just got to realize that. So stay in the New Testament. Uh, Stick to the Pauline epistles. Stay out of Revelation. Stay out of Hebrews. Stay out of Acts until you start getting into some deeper theological uh, understanding of what the Bible is written. It's really good, Jody. That That is excellent. Ex- excellent advice. And I'm with you. I'm, I agree with you on 100% of everything you just said because I've shared the same thing with men. But I think that's a great transition before we get into the uh, man up questions is we know that these things that you're talking about, the, the Bible reading and spending quality time with God and learning how to pray and, and having a strong prayer life. 
And in addition to that, um, and I guess I'm trying to see if I can phrase this question in the right way, because some men will just stop there and they'll say, OK, I'm spending time in my word. I'm reading God's word. I'm having quiet time with God. And this is all I need. Now I'm going to mature as a Christian. I'm going to be good. And you and I both know that there's a little bit more than just that. If he's able to have that solid foundation, which we know Christ is the, the cornerstone, that solid foundation, building a relationship with Christ. What do you suggest even outside of that, that you still think a man needs in order to become a mature man of God and be the man that God created him to be? Well, I think, you know, first of all, your first ministry is towards your family. The second thing is get involved at church. You know, a lot of ministries start with a mop and a mop bucket. You know, if you'll if you'll learn to have that to begin with, um, you know, not worried about trying to get up on stage, not trying to get up, you know, and teach or any of that kind of stuff, really start focusing on there. That's going to grow you quite a bit. Help with the children's ministry. Help with the youth ministry. You know, help in ways that you can, you know, learn to, to not only lead your family, but lead other people. And uh, don't stop reading your Bible. I mean, literally, that's going to be the thing that's going to change you more than anything, is reading your Bible on a constant daily basis. Uh, most men will find time to go to an after-work party or go to work early or go to their son and daughter's baseball, soccer, football, whatever it is, games, but they won't take time to read the Word of God. And then, you know, if you're not reading the Word of God, I promise you it starts falling apart after that. Uh, and so, you know, there, there's a lot of things that they can do. Get involved with a small group. Find a men's group that's local. Um, that can help you out. It doesn't necessarily have to be connected to your church. If you've got a good, vibrant men's ministry, which we all know that most churches don't, um, you know, then then find one that is or find a group that is. But just stay involved. All right. Good stuff, Jody. Good stuff. And Jody, now it's time for the man of questions. I didn't get to all the questions I wanted to have um, to ask you today, but I definitely want to get you on the man up questions because, one, it goes right with your ministry, Man Up God's Way organization. So, <laughs> Um, the question is basically there's just five quick questions, Jody, starting with the letters M-A-N-U-P, and they just require your fearless honesty, which you will not have a problem with at all. So the question is, are you ready? Yes, sir. All right, fantastic. And we'll get started right after this short break. We'll be right back with my guest, Jody Burking. Hey, Mighty Warrior, how would you like to hang out with a group of real men who really get you? I'm talking about a group of men who are purpose-driven, love God, and have a sincere desire to win as men, husbands, fathers, and as leaders. I'm talking about real men who understand your desires as well as your doubts, your hunger for success and significance, as well as your struggles with life and even lust. Well, look no further because we've created the first ever private college campus on Facebook just for Christian men called Real Men University. But don't you worry, the tuition is free, but the education, support, and friends you'll meet will be priceless. So if you'd like to join a group of like-minded, non-judgmental Christian men who are all looking to take their faith, family, and finances to the next level, then just go over to realmenuniversity.com and request to join. That's realmenuniversity.com, and I'll see you on campus. Welcome back, Mighty Men of God. I'm, I'm with my guest here, Jody Burkine of Man Up God's Way Ministries. And he's ready to take on the Man Up questions that I can't wait to ask the Man Up guy, the Man Up questions. And Jody, the first one starts with the letter M, and it stands for mistake. What mistake did you learn the most from as a man? 
Well, when I first gave my life to the Lord, I focused completely on myself. I did not focus on my wife. I did not focus on my kids. And within a year and a half to two years of me giving my life to the Lord in 2003, I became the assistant pastor of our small church uh, through some teaching, through some discipleship through my pastor. Well, one thing led to another, and the next thing I know, I became the hypocrite that I could not stand when I was growing up, and my wife, for the first time in our marriage, uh, said that she wanted a divorce. And uh, I got into to, to ministry because of the prompting of my pastor and the elders, because of my personality, my character, all of that kind of stuff. I got into ministry way too fast, and it became a major, major problem and a prideful stumbling block uh, in my life. And so that's probably the biggest mistake I've made in my ministry. I pulled back. I focused on my family. And uh, I started pouring into them. And once that became uh, constant in my life, I, I ended up becoming a better pastor because of it. All right. All right. Now, the A stands for attitude. And you work with enough men in your organization, even being a pastor of a church. If you could change one attitude in men, I already think I already know what you're going to say to this one. But uh, <laughs> what attitude would you change in men if you could? I, 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 this is kind of a cliche statement, but it's pride. Uh, I always say men have five major problems. It's sex, wives, money, kids, and work. But yet we're so prideful that to think that we can't talk about those or find somebody to help us walk through that. That's a, that's a part of discipleship. You know, discipleship isn't just sitting down and going, you know, verse by verse through the Bible. It's literally talking about our problems, our issues. And when you can talk about sex, you know, because if you got a pair of eyes and a pair of testicles, you've got a sex problem because you've got lust, you've got... You've got pornography. You've got problems with your wife. If you're married, you've got everybody's married. Everybody's got marriage problems. If you've got money, you've got money problems. If you've got work, you've got work problems. If you've got kids, you've got kid problems. And that's how simplistic we are, but we're so prideful to think that we can't talk about those. Yeah, I even heard um, they went, years ago when they were interviewing Michael Jordan. And, they, you know, when they had those commercials of Be Like Mike, everybody wanted to be like Mike. And someone asked Mike, isn't it great to be Michael Jordan? And he <laughs> said, um, I think they're cowards. And he says, they said, why do you call them cowards? He says, because they don't really know me. All they see is the championships I've won and the money I make. He says, but my money only solves money problems. Right. Exactly. And I'm like, wow, well said. He said, I still got to worry about my marriage and everything else and raising kids. So you're absolutely right. It is that basic and that plain. And yet we don't ask for help when we need it. So I'm glad you brought that up. Now, I can't wait to ask you this one because you I, I, before we came on to the call today, uh, I was just I wanted I felt bad about complaining about my schedule when I heard about your schedule. <laughs> and so the end stands for next. What's the next big thing you would attempt to do for God if you knew you couldn't fail? As if you had time, but let's see. I can't wait to hear what it is. Well, we've we've got some big things on the horizon for Man Up. Um, we're looking to launch a, a video podcast, uh, also a magazine that will help uh, men. It's kind of a Christian living magazine for men. And, um, you know, that's kind of the next thing on the horizon. I'm working on a book now that I am scared to death to uh, put out. It's called uh, Pornified Believer. Oh. It's a, uh, <laughs> it's a, um, a book on pornography and the lust of the eyes. And, you know, just it's really a gut punch kind of book that, you know, I'm even thinking about not even putting a cover on it because I don't think most men will buy it if, if it has has a cover like that. So, um there's some crazy things that we're looking at doing, and uh, I'm just praying that God is, is in the middle of it, and he's, he's blessing it to go alongside of it, because I think it can change a lot of men's lives. 
And the fact that, you, I mean, now just hearing it, I'm already getting stressed out. I'm thinking, how are you going to find the time to do all of that? You know, video podcast, that's going to be a lot of work. Yes, it is. Yes, wow. it is. So. Now, before I get to the, to, to the you questions, I do want to ask you, why are you afraid about putting out that book about, uh, about pornography? Well, well, I think the pink elephant in the church today is pornography. Um, it's the fastest growing, you know, web presence phone presence, all of this kind of stuff. It's become a part of freedom of speech, which we'll probably never be able to get it out of the system until the system completely blows up, so to speak. We do not know as of yet the consequences that we're having, especially for our young kids. I've got seven-year-old twins, and I just found um, we've got porn blockers on everything in our house, and we had bought an iPad for Christmas a couple years ago that uh, you know, it was one of those prepaid uh, iPads that came with a cell service on it and um, had no clue. It had been sitting in a cabinet. We gave it to one of our seven-year-olds. The next thing I know, he's looking up naked girls uh, because somebody at school told him at seven years old. And this is something that I teach and preach very heavily at Man Up, and it just blew my mind that I missed something like that. And so I think parents are really um i'll give you this is an example uh yeah in our small group one of the the parents asked how do you teach your kids you know what uh, what about masturbation and about this kind of stuff you know do you say anything do you just let them do it do you i was like no you need you need to be talking about purity so i think most of the church is really confused about what they're supposed to do with this right and, and I tell you, this problem is um, getting serious. Uh, we've had a few guests come on to talk about uh, pornography. And I heard that one uh, one of our expert guests, um, um, Carl Stewart, was telling us that one out of every five um, Internet searches is for, for pornography. Yes, it is. And it's yeah. even now starting to grow among women. But I tell you, we had a guest who, um, who wrote a book called Digital Cocaine. I, his name slips me right now, but it was a great guest that talked. And I even asked him, I said, what is the impact? I said, and I told him, I know it was just speculation on his part because he studies this stuff. I said, if we don't get a control of this or we don't get ahead of this, what could be the potential impact? And are you ready for this, Jody, what he said? He said, Joe, I'm hoping I'm wrong. He says, but what's going to happen? He said, you're going to see a lot more children committing sexual crimes. Yes. That yeah. freaked me out when he said that. Yeah. He says, Joe, I'm he said, I'm not he said, I'm just telling you, he says, if they're being exposed to it more, they're gonna experiment more with kids their age and younger kids. So he says you're gonna see a lot more sexual abuse in which if that doesn't terrify parents and I and I'm a survivor of sexual abuse as a child and we didn't have what we have today. So could you imagine because they said now the average age for kid has been exposed to porn is at eight years old. So what do you think an eight-year-old is going to do with a two- or three-year-old? Yeah. You know, exactly. it's, oh, my God, don't even get me started. We're yeah. going to go off on a rabbit trail well, on that. Well, but, the number one, the, the, the top two search uh, words are stepmom and rape. Wow, I did so, not you know, know that. Really? Wow. It's wow. crazy. Oh, that's, oh. But anyway, so so definitely you're gonna write that book whether you want to or not. You're gonna have yes, to do exactly. <laughs> now, Jody, the U stands for understand. When you were younger, let's put you around, let's say 20, 21 years old. What was the one thing you didn't understand about being a man, but you understand better now today? Uh, well, I got married at twenty years old, so well, you were younger than me, man. Wow. Yeah. So what I did not understand was how to be the husband that my wife needed. 
um, you know, whether it was even just socially or biblically, uh, the more that I get into the Word of God, the more that I realize the responsibility that I have as a husband that I don't think we teach anymore. Um, you know, there's no chivalry. Like, I, you know, since day I was taught to open my wife's door, I, that's probably the most, you know, chivalrous thing that I ever did. But I did not communicate with her. I did not talk with her. I did not... I always say I even wrote my first book. You know, uh, the day the the day before I got married, my mom made my de- bed. The day after I got married, my wife made my bed. So like I was a child being handed to a woman to raise continually. Wow. Um, and so she had, you know, she tried to raise me and mold me, but as we both know, that does not work. Um, she can't change me. Only God can change me. Amen. Amen. And Joe, we're going to get you out of here, man, with the last question, which is the letter P stands for problem. As a mighty man of God, which you are, man, what's the one problem in your life do you still struggle with as a man even today? Uh, I still deal with lust. Um, you know, I think that's that's a common problem for men. Um, I have to, and the reason that my life verse is Romans 8, 6, uh, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace is because the flesh always wants to try to take control. And it's a, it's a constant battle. You know, it's not just something that all of a sudden, you know, I haven't watched porn in, in years. The issue is, is that I've got this this mindset of, you know, old images and past, past addictions and, you know, uh, beautiful women and all of that kind of stuff. And so that's a struggle that I, it will, <laughs> I read an article that talked about a small group and they were talking about this issue and somebody asked the 80 year old guy, you know, um, you know, how, when did he, you know, fix that problem? He said, you're going to have to ask somebody older than me. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, <laughs> Uh, I think that's a problem that we have to deal with for, you know, for our lifetime. And we've got to be, you know, we've got to be smart about it and address it in a biblical manner. You know, and thanks for sharing that with us, Joe, because I, I want men out there to hear what you're saying, because people always ask me too, because, you know, my um, porn addiction, it ruined a 16 year marriage. And then they see that I've been porn free for now going on. You're talking about what, 15 years. And they want to know, Joe, um, so you mean you never tempted before? You don't never have to deal with lust? Of course I do. I say the difference is the knock is a lot, lot lighter than it used to be. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, but the knock is still there. But um, but a lot of things you shared today is helping you deal with that and help us overcome because we are overcomers and Christ did defeat that. He he didn't defeat everything on the cross except for pornography. And so yeah, so we right, already exactly. had the victory. We, we're, we're operating from a, a point of victory, not trying to pursue victory. So thanks for sharing that, man. And guys, we've reached the end of our show today. Man, I tell you, Jody, this was great, man. You did a wonderful job. And thank you for answering the man up question so honestly. But I want to thank you for joining us and being so gracious with your time, brother. Amen. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. And God bless. And Jody, before you and we let you off there, man, quickly for our listeners, if they wanted to find out more about you, your ministry, um, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you and connect with you? Well, our website at manupgodsway.org or our Facebook page. We have almost 900,000 followers on Facebook, and you can get us there. And we have an app on iTunes and Google Play. It's Man Up God's Way app. All right. And we'll make sure we add that to the show notes as well, because that app is the bomb, man. I love it. And so we'll make sure that they'll have access to you through that. And guys, please do us a quick favor. Um, It only takes about a minute. Um, please go over and um, leave us a review for what you thought of not only the program, but today's interview with Jody Burkeen is the best way to help us get this program in the hands, ears and hearts of men just like you. Because of your faithful listening, guys, you made us the number one podcast on iTunes. 
for Christian men, and we can't thank you enough for that. So please don't keep us a secret. Keep on sharing us with your friends. So until next time, I'm Joe Martin, your man builder with RealMenConnect.com, reminding you that we are males by birth, but we are men by choice. So each and every day, choose to be the man God called and created you to be, because a male is a terrible, terrible thing to waste. So until next time, stay strong, stay blessed, and as always, stay in his grip. Thank you for listening to the Real Men Connect podcast with Dr. Joe Martin. Real Men Connect isn't just a podcast. It's a mission, ministry, and movement to help good men become the great men God called and created us to be. And the best is yet to come. So if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps us to build the podcast and to reach, teach, and impact more men, all for the glory of God. And make sure you check out realmenconnect.com to get our free tools and resources to help you go from good man to great man God's way. Again, that's realmenconnect.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.